Oh no! <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! It's <wasn't> far off. It's <laughs> <laughs> lost in the character. It's a real Daniel Day Lewis. Two towers! <laughs> Woo! Yay! We did it! We made it, boys! We're talking about the Two Towers, the second Lord of the Rings movie. But before we get into that, uh, as a bit of our warm-up question, our opening warm-up question, let's go ahead and ask around. What's a great sequel? And when I'm saying sequel, I mean specifically number two in a series. I don't want to hear no Back to the Future Part 3. I don't want to hear no Alien 3. Who's saying Alien 3? Uh, Rain, I'm asking you. Sequel, go. All right, Joe, let's do it. Three, two, one. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I actually had a different answer, but I'll let you take that. Elaborate on that. It's such a cold take, but it's correct, so I'll say it anyway. Just like it expands on everything was introduced in the first one, but just expands on it and, and um, everything about it is stronger. It looks better. The themes are stronger. It's arguably less funny. I don't know. It just It's better. It's it's the first one, but better. I, I think I heard less funny in that description. Arguably. I 100% disagree arguably. with that because that movie has the do you have a penis line, and that is one of the funniest things <laughs> in a Marvel movie ever. I created what I imagined biological life to be like. Did you make a penis? Dude, if yeah. he's a planet, how could he make a baby with your mother? He would smush her. I, uh, yes, Drax, I got a penis. <laughs> the, the answer that I was gonna go with, it might be a little unconventional, but Gremlins 2 is my pick. As great as that first movie is, Gremlins 2 is the ultimate, the director fucking hates that the movie is like this big thing now and he's just allowed to just do whatever the fuck he wants because he kept saying no to a sequel. So <laughs> that's the only way that they could get him back. And then it's just Joe Dante throwing shit at the wall and it's the most punk rock thing ever made and it's also very creative and inventive. Like he goes absolutely fucking bonkers and makes the this beautiful little like cartoon of a live action movie. It's something to believe and it's a perfect movie to watch on Lincoln's birthday. Can't give up now. Washington didn't give up. Lincoln didn't give Please. up. Please. What's wrong? Oh, don't mention Lincoln. Something terrible happened to me when you were on Lincoln's birthday. This man with this honey, beard um, and a hat looked just like Abe Lincoln. Honey, I really don't think we've got time for this now, you know? He, I remember, come oh on. God, he said, hello, little girl. Honey, come on. Honestly, just the fact that it exists is like a miracle and it, it's worth celebrating. Uh, my, my real answer is Evil Dead 2, but we re literally just did a whole podcast on that uh, about a month ago. So you can listen to my thoughts on that there. Groovy. So instead, I'm going to talk about uh, another film, uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Which I don't think is better than the first one, but I like it a lot. I think it's an interesting kind of, you can see it as a continuation or you can see it as a standalone film. Um, I like that it follows Bato, where like a lot of Ghost in the Shell stuff follows Motoko. So it flushes out his character a lot. I think that that's interesting. It's got gorgeous animation. It's complex in a way that you don't really know what the fuck's going on, but it doesn't matter. It's cool. And I actually got the Blu-ray signed by Richard Epcar, the voice of Bato and also the ADR director on the film. Um, so yeah, Ghost in the Shell 2. Austin. 
Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. First Boom. movie. Right, Austin's saw. banned from the podcast or show or whatever the fuck this is. He's banned now. Okay, for my money, a sequel that I definitely want to highlight right here is The Raid 2 from 2014, right? The original Raid absolutely changed movies and shit when it came out. Fight scenes were never the same after The Raid. And one of the things people liked a lot about The Raid and Dread was the linear journey upwards through the huge tower of drug gangsters. So it's amazing that the Raid 2 managed to totally like zoom out and establish this operatic tale of crime families duking it out with this undercover agent swept up in the mix. Everything's bigger, better, more intense. Would highly recommend action aficionados who want to see what happens when you try to make anime real. It's true, yes. My, my time to shine, hello. Um, my answer to this question is the most generic answer to this question possible, but I stand by it because I feel like whenever people talk about sequels that are better than the original, they always say this one first. So my answer is, of course, a T2 Judgment Day, Woo! the second Terminator movie. T2 was a monument compared to T1. Yeah, exactly. It made more money. It was the highest grossing movie ever at the time, I think. I think. Uh, James Cameron beat himself, what, seven years later? He's been top three times. Um, yeah, T2 is uh, is the perfect answer because like the first one, yes, it is an amazing five-star movie in its own right. But the second one uh, more appeals to my genre, which is action and also cops sucking. T1 doesn't have a cops suck message. Meanwhile, James Cameron intentionally picked a member of the LAPD to um, be the disguised mm -hmm. bad guy in the movie. And not to mention the most important thing T2 did, uh, a paparazzi member trying to get BTS footage of T2 is what led to the Rodney King beating being recorded. That is a true fact. What? That is a true fact. Did you not know that? No, I did not know this. The guy that recorded the Rodney King beating was trying to get footage of T2 when it was being filmed. That, why do you think he was from a distance and had a camera? You guys didn't know that? No. no. I, that's common knowledge. They didn't bring that up in social studies, Tanner. I'm sorry. I <laughs> Let's uh, talk about The Two Towers now, My which God. is a great sequel. Uh, I don't think improves upon Fellowship of the Ring, but it's a great sequel nonetheless. Austin, go. I watched our old review, and in keeping with movie night tradition, I'm keeping this section somewhat brief because I'm part of the very well-established majority who's here to parrot the same lines about how this is a landmark in fantasy filmmaking. For me, uh, this is even better than watching Fellowship, which is completely insane considering how good Fellowship is. Your love of the halfling's leaf has clearly slowed your mind. The three intercutting storylines somehow managed to consistently perform well together, resulting in an even shorter feeling, really long film than the predecessor, if that makes sense. Some of what I love about this movie came about because of the superhuman production scaling that was done between these two films. Between Fellowship and The Two Towers, Weta Digital doubled their staff, tripled the storage, and quadrupled their processing power. So right off the bat, considering this is a movie from 2002, you get stuff that falls on the spectrum somewhere between extremely ambitious and actually groundbreaking. So the ambitious effects are showcased right away, immediately. You get early use of digital actor doubles with Gandalf fighting the fucking Balrog, rocketing three miles per shot down a fucking chasm. Another hilarious digi double shot that's quite infamous is Legolas doing some kind of 
sideways flip onto a horse's back. That's the result of Orlando Bloom having a cracked rib and not being able to mount the horse in the more realistic way that the stunt people had rehearsed with him. The groundbreaking stuff, though, was probably more well known for this movie, including 2003 MTV Movie Awards Best Virtual Performance Winner, Gollum, uh, coming in with a fresh redesign so he looks more like Andy Serkis, using cutting edge, uh, paint out a whole actor, plus mocap, plus manual facial animation to create cinema's first great digital actor. And then there's the less popular but equally important Treebeard, who is a combination of giant animatronics and absurdly detailed CGI that took 48 hours per frame to render. And lastly, uh, with all due respect to the Weta Workshop guys, who built like five different versions of Helm's Deep to uh, over at like Dry Creek Quarry, uh, the use of Orc Builder and Massive and Tandem to create most of the like 10,000 evil bastards really helped sell the scale of this super famous battle at the end of this. So yeah, wrapping this spiel up, uh, there was an increased emphasis on action in Two Towers that helps it go down smoother for me than Fellowship did. There were these monumental feats of technical innovation required that made those action scenes come to life in the realistic way that this franchise kind of called for. And that's not even bringing up like the bigotures or costuming department, Mount Sunday, or any of the other million great things about this film. So back to what I said earlier, I think it's no exaggeration to say this is a landmark in fantasy film making and to an extent modern blockbusters in general so yeah i like it i like you baby mm. all right tim what are your thoughts on the towers 9-11 go yeah there we go oh shit 9-11 was two towers yeah <laughs> so yeah i think that's something that we had brought up on the uh, fellowship of the ring recording uh was how uh these movies spawned a lot of memes and uh this one in particular spawned a very popular viral video around 2002 2003 Roll the clip, Austin. But yeah, this is definitely uh, this is a solid follow-up. Uh, I think I'm sort of on that page. Like, I think there's a lot that stands out more in Fellowship and Return of the King, but like, this is still a really good movie, and I think that it kind of expands on some of the stuff that's going on a lot. Like, Fellowship sort of establishes the stakes and uh, everything that's happening, all the characters and the world at large. I mean, like, this really builds on uh, Frodo and Samwise's relationship. It builds on Smeagol exponentially. It makes him an actual character. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. What to enjoy about it? Like, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's good. Who should go next, Joe or Rain? I think it instead should be Anime Me. Hello, yeah, there we go. Anime Me here. And uh, by that, I mean Joe Go. So, I've pulled out like three like very specific things that I, I love about this movie that I want to just gush over. For starters, I talk about how uh, the only acting Oscar this series got was the best performance in Fellowship, Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf the Grey. And honestly, he's one of the best performances of the whole trilogy. However, 
I want to shout out an underdog, an absolute king, pun intended, if you will, because this man, much like Sir Ian McKellen, makes you believe he is the character that he is, and he lives in this world, and that is Bennard fucking Hill as King Theoden. My God, this man, every single goddamn word that comes out of his mouth, you believe. This man can make the most basic of speeches, just the most inspiring thing ever, and just make it sound grand and epic. Like, holy shit, this man knows how to fucking act. And then, of course, the two best actors of the entire franchise share one of the most emotional scenes together, that funeral scene, where he's talking about how, uh, yeah, it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the whole trilogy. And it's, like, brilliantly acted. Sandra's death was not of your making. No parents should have to bury their child. He was strong in life. His spirit will find its way to the halls of your fathers. All right. Second off, something that I like about like each individual Lord of the Rings movie is kind of on display here, but these are all like fantasy films, but they all kind of feel like they have like their very distinct like subgenre. Like Fellowship is like the straight up fantasy movie. Return of the King is like your grand epic, like like your Ben Hur's, if you will. This one is pure straight action. And man, oh man, if, if you thought some of the action in the first one was good, they step it the fuck up here. There's a lot more of it. It's shot better. It's much more enthralling and engaging, which then leads me to my third point, which is the greatest battle scene ever put to film. And I talk about it a little bit in the Shang-Chi podcast, the Helm's Deep battle at the very end of this. Holy <sighs> goddamn shit. That is how you not only set up a final act, but that is how you execute a final act because man oh man it is just shot executed like everything about it is perfect I, I don't know what else to say about it uh so i am just gonna end it there with helm's deep battle great movie great five stars out of five back to you tanner looks like meat's back on the menu boys uh, I, I like what you're saying about how the movie executes these shots really well. Because, shit, when I see Aragorn in this movie, I wish he'd execute some shots into my mouth. Rain, you go. <laughs> Man, how am I supposed to follow that up? With more um, homoeroticism. So, uh, like I said in Fellowship, these are probably, like, these are perfect movies, more or less. Um, even though they wouldn't be in my top 10, probably not even in my top 20 or 30. They're just everything they set to try and do. They are just more or less perfect like as perfect as art as like a piece of art can be i feel like i'd say they're the best but like when it comes to the fantasy epics there's a reason that this is the first thing people think about when they think of fantasy the first thing they think about when they think of big epic stories that being said so i gotta say it i gotta say it oh. probably my least favorite of the three why do you do that oh. call him names run him down all the time because that's what he is mr frodo there's not left in him but lies and deceit the reason is probably it is probably very surface level, very shallow. But um, um, the thing that I really appreciate about the Lord of the Rings movies is when the elements of like whimsy, lightheartedness, like the pretty side of fantasy, when people think of like, you know, like, oh, look at these cute little elves, the cute little forest gnomes, stuff like that. And then like the big, cool, badass, like epic side of fantasy that we also often think of. I feel like Lord of the Rings like does an amazing job blending those two elements of fantasy together than any other like fantasy story I can think of. And that blending, it's like perfect, top notch in Fellowship, pretty strong in Return of the King, whereas it's kind of the weakest in Two Towers. Since it's taking on the traditional role of the uh, 
the dark mm-hmm. chapter of the of a trilogy. It's just kind of a natural byproduct that it's, it's going to be the darkest. It's going to be the grittiest, for lack of a better term. Like Joe was saying, this is a this is an action movie first and foremost. So yeah, that's kind of why I'm maybe not at, as a whole. This is the one I'm the least um, excited to get uh, revisit. Not to say it's bad, and not to say I'm not enjoying my time. Helm's Deep. It is the big epic climax to end all big epic climaxes of movies. It is the setup is spectacular. Everything about it's spectacular. You, you can't beat it. And also, if there's any argument for Two Towers being the best, I feel like the, the argument would be how Gollum, the little gray goblin man is in it. His role arguably is the is bigger here than it is in Return of the King. Actually, uh, that's very debatable. But I, when I think of him, I think of him more yeah. in this when I think than I think of Return of the King. Yeah. So, and then also yeah. tree people, the ends. I like them. They're cute, big tree guys. You mentioned Gollum being like uh, more standout-ish here in this one. I, I think that was like kind of the whole perception of Two Towers, but yeah. was that this was the Gollum movie for like the longest time. Man, oh man, that performance. It kind of just came out of nowhere and like took the whole world by storm. I mean, his monologue with himself. Yeah. Top tier. This is the weakest movie of the trilogy for me. I think it's really boring in parts. Like it kind of drones on and on in sections in ways I oh, don't wow. really enjoy. I always find the beginning of the movie to be very confusing. I don't know. Every time I start the movie, I just kind of go, huh? How'd we get here? Oh, right. There was another movie. I don't know. It just kind of starts on the ground running and not in a good way for me. I usually like movies that hit the ground running, but not really this one. The recap confuses me is what I'm trying to say. Because <laughs> I always forget it's a recap. And I'm just like, wait, huh? Oh, right. This happened at the end of the last movie. Previously on Lord of the Rings. I honestly think it helped me if it said previously. <laughs> well, it, when they were starting to make the movie, what the studio wanted was more narration from like Kate Blanchett or whoever narrates the beginning of the first one. And right. Peter Jackson and them just dunked that shit down. They're like, no, that's stupid. Fuck you. No, just get Harrison Ford to do all the narration. It's fine. It almost started with a with an actual like recap the way the first one does. I, however, I do agree that the Battles of Helm's Deep goes hard as fuck and kind of saves the movie for me. It's the worst one of the trilogy, and I, I think it's okay. I'm Not more than okay. I give it four stars, but it's really boring in parts. Gollum's incredible. You guys said all the interesting stuff, so we're moving on to an ad break now. Bye. And the, and the best virtual performance is... <laughs> Gollum, Lord of the Rings, two towers. Hi, everybody. My name's Andy Serkis, and I'm delighted to receive this award on behalf of everybody who brought Gollum to life. You're a liar! I'm the thief! It's mine! I won it! It was me! We only won because of me! That's enough, Gollum. Piece of circus, you stupid fat with a f***ing turd! And Peter Jackson, my precious! Who do you think you are, you f***ing hack? You're all bastards! Unkillable sucks! We hate you all! Good night. Welcome back to Bomb Squad Movie Night and the sounds of smooth jazz. Gonna take it over to DJ Austin and Joe Vrenick here for general discussion. All right, so uh, one thing I want to bring up just first and foremost is that this whole movie was almost stolen during post-production. Everyone knows about Viggo Mortensen breaking his toe, right? But this seems to be a a less known fact that blew me away. So this movie was almost stolen off an iPod. While Peter Jackson was spending 12 weeks at Abbey Road Studios doing sound stuff, uh, they tried to run a fiber connection between Weta Digital and where Peter Jackson was staying in London, but they couldn't get the 
fiber to run all the way. They got it close, so somebody had to deliver the files to Peter Jackson on foot, and they used iPods as impromptu hard drives, these four gigabit iPods. And one day, the IT manager named Duncan Nemo, I think, was delivering an iPod to Jackson that had a copy of the whole goddamn movie on it that day, and he was chased through London by thugs and barely escaped. It was a serious thing, and we almost, you know, had this movie leak like it was the first American Pie or Dune last year. Just come out on the internet before it was out in theaters. So, close call that one. God damn. Where there's a whip, there's a way. Where there's a whip, there's a way. So I, I do have a fun question for you all that also has like a fun bit of trivia. But did you notice Liv Tyler's cameo in the Battle of Helm's Deep? Wait, it's still in there? Yeah, there there is still one like like she's kind of off in the background. But there is a shot of Liv Tyler at the Battle of Helm's Deep, which uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Arwen was actually supposed to be at the very end of uh, Two Towers. Like they mm-hmm. shot like footage of Liv Tyler at the Battle of Helm's Deep and everything, but it wound up not making the cut. She trained in sword fighting for like three months or something to do the Helm's Deep shooting, and then uh, they this leaked online that she was going to be at the Battle of Helm's Deep, and on like the online boards at the time, they shit all over the idea, so they actually kind of changed the course of the movie, and then, you know, they reinvented how things were, and now she's stuck in flashbacks instead of getting to do sword fighting. It is very... 2001. Wait, they literally did a thing where they cut out part of the movie Damn. because they did a Westworld? They did a Sonic. Like the internet influenced something. Westworld did it first. Westworld in its season two famously had a very intricate plot twist planned out. And then when Reddit guessed it midway through the season, they weren't even done filming the season. They pivoted and changed it, but they only had a couple episodes left to do. So they had to do a bunch of bullshit writing. And that's the reason why it got canceled before being finished. I swear to God, trust your writers. If your audience figures out your plot twist, that's a good thing, actually. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm ranting about Westworld on the Two Towers podcast. I'm just really angry about that still. It's been five years. It was more like good old fashioned sexism. And what's funny is on the DVD, like the bonus features, you can see Liv Tyler talking about how liberating it was that she's not in the movie doing sword fighting now. And instead she's getting to kiss Viggo Mortensen in a flashback. It shows how backwards the world used to be, kind of. She thought that was liberating? It's very sexist. It's, it's insane looking back on it. Are you sure she's not just trying to be funny? What we came to realize was that you don't have to put a sword in her hands to make her strong. I mean, I was so into it and so liberated and happy. I was skipping around the set. No, I don't think so. Tanner, if you saw how big the gun at her back was when she was making that statement, you wouldn't be laughing either. <laughs> big gun. Yeah, yeah. Liv Tyler was all, Liv Tyler was supposed to be fighting there. Miranda Otto also had like some fight scenes cut from Helm's Deep because like Urukai break down into the caves. There's actually a lot of footage from Helm's Deep that didn't make it into the movie. Women. I got some Gollum facts. People want to hear some Gollum facts? Yes. Andy Serkis was a rock climber in his spare time, so he had an easier time crawling around on cliffs and shit. Just hopping around <laughs> doing that. Um, illustrator John Howe, one of the big, like, the two big people involved in, like, the design team, and Iggy Pop, of all people, were used as, like, had their bodies referenced for the design of Gollum, because they were lanky fuckers. Yeah. Poor Iggy Pop. Right? 
That makes sense. No, I, it makes perfect sense, but also, that has to suck. Hey, we want to use your body as a reference. Oh, what for? Don't worry about it. So, Circus, he's doing this crazy <laughs> voice, right? They had this mixture of honey, lemon, and ginger that he had to drink all the time to stop his vocal cords from getting fucking destroyed, and they called it Gollum Juice. Shit, baby, I'd drink some Gollum Juice. <laughs> Last fun fact, and anyone who does film production will understand how absurd this is. There was this guy named Gino Acovetto, an artist at West who was noticed for how good he was at airbrushing realistic skin on the dead, like specifically dead Boromir in the boat model from Fellowship, right? They made this poor fucker learn how to do CG texture painting just so he could lend his skills to doing Gollum skin, which is funny because before that, he was mostly just getting comfortable with how to email, and they tried to make him a CG artist over a course of weeks. <laughs> did it work? Uh, yeah, actually. The way that they did Gollum skin, because this is before, like, subsurface scattering, the way skin actually works with, like, physics and light, so what they did was additive airbrushing. He painted the skin in layers like you would do with certain types of, like, actual materials and that's why Gollum's skin looks so good but um they actually use the bottom of peter jackson's feet as a reference for Gollum's gray skin you can find this on the special features peter jackson's filthy fucking feet are the same color as Gollum's skin which is Jesus insane christ so quick question because tim brought up the potatoes meme I, I do have to ask every single one of you when orlando bloom says they're taking the hobbits to isengard did you giggle? Yeah. Admit no. it. Admit it. You, yep. No. I giggled too. Tanner, have you never no, seen the song? No, I know the song. Oh. I never thought it was funny. Okay, fine. It, it's a banger of a song, but it's like, it's kind of ruined the movie for me now because every time I hear the words, they're taking the Hobbits to Isengard, I just hear the music start to play in the background. They're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. I think watching this again, knowing that um, Peter Jackson started out as a horror director kind of paints it differently for me. Like, like I yes. remember as a kid that scene where um, the one like hook nosed orc is standing over Pippin and Mary with the knife, just like uh, scream all you want. No one's going to hear you like that shit scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, and like watching it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's because uh, he directed Braindead. He, he directed all these things before that. Um, and like the, the one scene where Frodo falls into the lake and like you got the spooky little ghosty guys like this this is, this is some classic horror shit and I love it. By the way, those uh, swamp shots were shot in a series of parking lots. <laughs> it looks yeah. like a big expansive swamp, but it was parking Important lots. Important question. Why do the orcs have hooked noses? What did Peter Jackson mean by this? Some of them have hooked noses. Tanner, you're thinking of J.K. Rowling. Hagrid, what exactly are these things? They're goblins, Harry. She did not, yeah. in a wizarding world, just throw Jews in there <laughs> to run the f***ing underground bank. Actually, as of yesterday, I'm thinking of David Chappelle, apparently. Oh. <laughs> so the part where Westfold is burning, right? The wild men come and the, the mother's like, get out of here, children. Um, they, come? They lit this building on fire and the, the, the like least ideal situation happened. The crazy wind came in and started kicking this giant fire all around set. And so there were two camera guys who had to bail on their post because they just saw this fire coming towards them and were like, nope. And you can actually find the footage of this just camera with the fireball coming at it on
on the DVD. It's pretty good. Oh, God. Also, there were two occasions filming this movie where art department made something way too strong on accident. First, and this is the one most people know about, is the door at Helm's Deep. Stunt department went through absolute hell trying to open the door with the actual weight battering ram. And uh, second was the dam of the Isengard miniature when it was flooded, right? The first time they attempted to film that miniature, they blew up like two tons of water behind the model and the model didn't bust open. They had to hollow out the bricks in the back of the model to get the shot in the finished movie. So yeah, if you ever want to like, I don't know, the army should get the Lord of the Rings art department to build shit for them because it's unbreakable when art department builds shit. Another thing, like I kind of watched this in pieces uh, with my girlfriend uh, over the course of yesterday and this morning. So like we watched the end of it this morning and like that last monologue that uh, Sam does towards the end where he's talking about how like how can things go back to the way they are after all this bad has been done like that shit is different in 2022 after the last uh, you know two going on three years of uh, the world yeah <laughs> I think it would have hit different at the time too because films called the two towers came out in 2002 things were escalating sort of in the middle east and it was yeah. all our fault just like that this movie's always kind of been out in this period of like devastating war kind of fucking with the world and so it's it's just kind of dark you can view it from a lot of angles and just like read the modern world into it it's something that just kind of always keeps coming back i guess i hope not i don't want a 9-11 too Electric, Electric boogaloo. boogaloo. Can we talk about how fucking incredible that shot of like Gandalf coming down the hill with mm -hmm. uh, the Rohirrim is? Mm -hmm. My God, it, it's just such a fucking powerful moment. And I usually don't cry at like just how beautiful imagery is. That That's one that I cry at. Like I, I'm always astonished by how incredible it looks and just how incredibly like timed it is. As someone who cried watching the trailer for Clifford, that shot does not make me cry. <laughs> Joe, we found something that makes you cry, but not me. It's a Christmas miracle. Wait, what about when Gimli is like talking to Miranda Otto's character and she's like, where is Aragorn? And he's like, he fell like in this sad kind uh, of like scared voice. That part gets me. This movie just doesn't merely make me emotional. John Reese davies carries this whole movie on his back comedically. He's like the only character who consistently gets to do jokes because it oh, is yeah. a bleak fucking movie. But then every time Gimli's around, he's like having corpses pile up on him and going, oh boy. Like, it's really, they gave <laughs> him a lot of shit to do. I'm pushing 30, and the older I get, the more I look at Gimli and think he just liked me for real. <laughs> Did you know John Reese davies is actually missing the top of his middle finger? He was doing, like, an engine-changing thing on his farm and lost the top of his middle finger. So Gimli always had to have a prosthetic top of his middle finger. And one day, they fucking scared Peter Jackson. He's just like, hey, boss, and just cut it off in front of Peter Jackson. <laughs> and Peter Jackson was like, no! no! Like, it was great. Speaking of Peter Jackson, who all uh, enjoyed his cameo in this one as a guy throwing spear at Helm's Deep? Really? Yeah. Yeah, oh. Peter Jackson showed up to the Battle of Helm's Deep and uh, throws that, that spear. It's a big step up from guy eating carrot <laughs> in the last one. How do we know it's not the same guy? That is the same guy. That, that's I meant same character in universe, Joe. Oh. What, did yeah. you think I thought there were two different Peter Jacksons? There surely are. That's fair. Oi, I'm Peter Jackson I mean, too. 
There, there's Peter Jackson from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Samuel Jackson. There's Percy Jackson. There's Michael Jackson. Uh, one of the uh, Helm Steve miniatures was built at 135th scale. And the reason they chose that number was because it worked with action figures. Like action figures were life size if they built it exactly to 135th scale. And Peter Jackson bought like 40,000 action figures, just cleaned out the world <laughs> supply to plan Helm's Deep. This man had more action figures than any motherfucker alive. That's why I didn't get a toy for Christmas that year. Not more than uh, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill's uh, the action figure collector or the toy yeah. soldier collector. Because of the contract with Star Wars, he has like a warehouse full of them. Like every single like Star Wars action figure, he gets like his own version of it. Might just be for Luke Skywalker, but I think it's for Star Wars action figures in general. Like it's part of his contracts. He signed like a million years ago. He's getting toys from like the shitty like children's books that only exist for Christmas. And he just gets a toy from it. And he's like, yeah, oh, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> the thing that's kind of missing with this movie is just, it is just a bit too down is a bit too serious for me to like say I, I love it uh, quite like I do the uh, first one and the third one to a lesser extent. I think that's really just the one thing it's missing for me personally. That's fair. It's a lot less it's a lot less comedic. But I think we might have made a mistake leaving the Shire. Um, final thoughts. Joe, you go. What more is there really to say about The Two Towers? It's a great movie. I'm probably going to say it again for Return of the King because it's probably more deserved there. But Miranda Auto Supremacy. Uh, there you go. Final thoughts. All right. Rain, go. It's good. You're beautiful, Rain. Tim, go. So the Fellowship of the Ring podcast uh, is, has the distinct honor of being the first instance of the catchphrase movie good as uttered by Rain. All right, Rain, final thoughts. Movie good. Uh, so I think in tradition, a year later, there's no better way to uh, send out the two towers than by saying potatoes. Boiling, mash them, stick them in a stew. I'll eat some potatoes after this. Iconic. All right, Austin, you go. Man, if Return of the King just continues the trend of these getting better every time, I absolutely can't wait to freak the fuck out next year with you guys. This movie rules. 10 out of 10. Psych, Austin, we're actually canceling the Return of the King podcast just to spite you. We can't cancel the podcast every time we do a Lord of the Rings movie, Tanner. You just watch me go! (laughs) You can't stop me! Actually, I can. I have a sniper trained at your window. Not again. All right. Snipe these. <laughs> Movie uh, whimsical in nature. Well, <laughs> you know who else is whimsical in nature? Your mom. My ass. Who? You! <laughs> the person watching slash listening to. Is this 93? Uh, I yes, think so. yeah. 93. Episode 93 of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Seven more till triple digits, baby. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this on any of the audio platforms we're on, thank you also very much for listening. While you're here, go ahead and go down to the reviews and leave one. I It doesn't do anything but boost my ego. If you're watching this on Spotify video, thank you also very much. You're probably listening to my homoerotic jokes, uncensored. Go to Patreon and give <laughs> Austin a sandwich. Or if you're watching on YouTube, thank you also very much once again for watching this episode of 
Bomb Squad Movie Night. While you're here, go ahead and down uh, to the comment section below and let me know. Do you think the Two Towers is the best of the trilogy? Do you think Two Towers is the worst of the trilogy? Uh, do you think it's the middle of the trilogy? You have to pick <laughs> one of those three options. There's only three rankings. Okay. And while you're down there, hit the like button so you know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so you know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so I can uh, do the Battle of Helm's Deep in your bedroom by breaking in. That's not a sex thing. It's not a sex thing. It's a violence thing. Thank you. Hit the bell icon. Tune in next week when we do Wakanda Forever. See you then. Bye. 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 What's this, brothers? <laughs>